Well, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians. Uh, we are continuing in our series. We'll find ourselves starting chapter 2 today in our series called Counterculture. How we are, as the people of God, to live countercultural lives because we, the church, the people of God, are different than the world. And uh, last week we, we, uh, we said, we asked this question, or we said this statement rather, that Jesus and the cross is true wisdom and power, and the wisdom of the world is true foolishness and weakness. And so the gospel, the power of God, is, is true wisdom and power, and everything in the world, everything that is counter to that, is complete foolishness. And so this week, Paul leaps from that wisdom and the message of the cross to explain the work of primarily the Holy Spirit, and that's where we're going to concentrate uh, this morning. I'll be reading in chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. This is where we are as we are navigating this book and journeying together. This is the word of the Lord. And I, Paul's writing this, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for they, if they had, they would have been crucified they would not have crucified, rather, the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but as is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of God would speak, and we're going to talk about this word, illuminate God's word to you this morning so that he could get that in your heart for life change and transformation. You pray silently that God would speak, and then I'll all pray for us collectively as a body. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would speak all of those collective prayers that we've just uttered, asking your word to speak and transform us. We know that's the power of the word. We know it's the spirit in us that is transforming us and making us into the image of Christ. We pray that as the ministry of the word goes forth, that you would do the work in all of our hearts. And Father, I know as a pastor, as a preacher, that I cannot change hearts. I know that the word and the Spirit changes hearts. 
And so, Father, we want to hear from you so that we can continue to walk following Jesus. And for those of you who do not know you, that they would hear clearly the gospel today and that they would respond in faith for salvation, trusting in the name of Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray and all God's people said. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, the power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be the converter of souls, nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would consist of the wisdom of men. We might preach until our tongues rotted, he said, till we would exhaust our lungs and die, but never would a soul be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the word of God to give it the power to convert a soul. Only the word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit can bring change. That's the only thing. And so I ask you this question this morning just to ponder and think about. If I ask you the question, what do you think about when you think about God? How do you know him? How do you understand him to be? What do you think about when you hear God spoken? Say, what's he like? And I'll follow that up with, how do you know that? How do you know all the things you know or presume to know about God? That's really what Paul is driving at. There's a way in which you only can understand God. And Paul says in our text, we read that the apostles imparted a secret and hidden wisdom that was only revealed in Christ and only towards those who are spiritual will talk about that. He's not talking about the mature spiritually. He's just saying those who have the Spirit. And I hope to unpack that as we dive into the text. We're going to jump right into our text this morning. See, Paul picked up in his letter after he talks about uh, division in the church, after he recaptures the gospel and the heart of it, and he talks about division and, and different teachers. He then starts to talk about wisdom of the world, and now he's kind of picking up where he left off, talking about what his message of the gospel was that he preached. The power of the cross, Christ crucified. He says, when I came to you in verse 1, did I not, did I not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God? For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul is laying it out there. He's saying, the only thing that I came to you with was the message of the gospel. I came in fear and trembling, but it was that. It was Christ crucified. He sets that emphasis. He didn't come with lofty speech or eloquent words of wisdom and all that. But he said in verse 5, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And the demonstration in verse 4 at the end of the spirit and power. Paul's desire was that the church wrapped around one main thing, that Jesus Christ died for the sins of sinful men, that he was going to preach that, Christ crucified, that Jesus died as a payment for their sin, and he wanted them to know that. And now he's going to make this emphasis about the Holy Spirit. What he addresses here is there's only one way that someone would hear, know, and receive that, and that's by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within and so this big point I'm driving at today is only those who have been given and received the Holy Spirit are spiritual. And only the spiritual person can know and understand God. Paul wanted the faith of the Corinthians to rest not on any human wisdom, 
but only on the power of God, Christ crucified. The act of the gospel as God has demonstrated in Christ what he had done to save and redeem. You remember the problem in Corinth, of which there were many that Paul addressed, was that human wisdom was keeping believers from divine wisdom. That was a problem that he just addressed and from spiritual growth and unity. And that's what Paul is desiring as he's writing this letter to the church to teach them. He wants to impart wisdom and he wants believers to mature and grow, which is why he starts off in verse six after that intro of Christ crucified being the aim. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Wisdom is not a bad thing, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. What is he talking about here? He's saying wisdom isn't bad. In this whole section before, we're we're prone to think, well, Paul is just like anti-wisdom. He's not anti-wisdom at all. He's saying, I want the believers in Christ to grow and mature, but I want them to know that those are only going to mature who are those who have the Spirit. And he uses that word Yet among the mature, and I don't want you to mistake that word here. Paul's not saying, yet among those who are more godly than me. You know, all those people who you think, well, I'm just not near where I need to be. Those must be, Paul must have been writing this for somebody above me spiritually. That word he uses here is something that is likened to those being perfected or complete, or maybe better mature are those who have entrance and full membership into a group. Those who are mature are those who have entrance into the kingdom of heaven by the grace of God and the Spirit of God changing their life. And Paul, if I could tra- or change that word out, Paul says, to the believer, to the born again, to the one who has the Spirit, we impart wisdom, a redeemed soul that is completely trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation, someone who is in the church, right? Full membership into the body. That's who he's writing to as he says mature. Not just someone who says they're in, professing with their mouth, but someone who is truly converted or changed or transformed, regenerated. Why do I use those words? Because I think Paul is driving at this, and I think we need to understand what sets the believer and unbeliever apart. You see, we could easily assume a lot of things there, but Paul writes this text about the Spirit. It's in God's Word for a reason. I think you and I say, oh yeah, we can tell what sets the believer and the unbeliever apart. It's just their, what they mark on their, like, their forms that they fill out, like Christian, Jewish, Muslim, other. Like, maybe that's what it is. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. There's two categories of people that exist. There are spiritual, and there are those who are the natural man he refers to, those who are not spiritual, those who have not been transformed, and those who are not saved. I asked earlier, as we began, how do you know and understand God? Who is he and what he's like? The only person that can answer that question is one who has been born of the Spirit, who has the Spirit. Now, let me start by not assuming the obvious here. I think we need to rewind a little bit in things we need to know and understand about the Holy Spirit, the doctrine, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. And I say person because some of us just refer to it as a thing or a being. It is a person of the Godhead. It's not a being of, or not an extension, rather, of God or something that's God-like. It is God in spirit, as the Father is God, as the Son is fully God in Jesus Christ. Three persons in the Godhead. So the Holy Spirit is the Godhead, part of the Godhead, one of the persons in the Trinity. 
and the Holy Spirit's function is this powerful person and working of God whom is active in our world. Jesus, when he walked the earth, was among believers. He left, he promised to leave the Holy Spirit with the disciples. You see, Jesus came, he was the first counselor. Maybe capital C, we refer to the counselor as the Holy Spirit. But Jesus really revealed on earth God in man's form was the first. And then he left the true counselor, the Spirit, to indwell and live inside the believer. 1 Corinthians 3.16, just a couple of references here. Do you not know that you are God's temple and the God's Spirit dwells in you? The believer guiding them all into truth, the Spirit's role in John 16, 13. Jesus said this, When the Spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are come. Jesus said that's what the Spirit is going to do. When I leave it, he's going to guide you into all truth, and he's going to declare to you the truth of God, the things that are to come. And then Jesus said this, too, about testifying in John 15, 26. He said, but when the helper comes, is another word for the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. I think we had one more verse there. Yep. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So the Spirit also is in us to testify about what God has done in our lives. So we listen to the Russia team up here stand because they're all women, eight women that went on this trip from our church. They have the Spirit of God inside them testifying to those orphans and others about the ministry of God's change in their life, the gospel. And by the Spirit, they can testify what God has done in their own lives. They're not speaking as one who say, well, this could happen if you accept Jesus Christ crucified for your sins. They're saying, this is what God has done in me as they've been led to the truth of God's word. Now, what's the role and function then of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Many things, primarily though, to bring faith, salvation, light, aid, gifts, and wisdom to us as he, the person, reveals the word of God. I always use this example. I explain it this way, just by a method of explanation of just understanding the Godhead. It's not the perfect example. It's not completely relevant to this in, in particular this text. But when I explain the model of prayer within the Godhead, I would say we pray as a people in the power of the Holy Spirit. All right? We pray in the Holy Spirit. When believers gather, we pray by the Holy Spirit's aid. The scriptures even say that the Spirit will utter words on our behalf when we just don't know what to pray. Jesus is our intercessor, Right? He carries those prayers to God the Father for us. So that's the destination. So if you think of it this way, the Holy Spirit is kind of the engine, the power that we live in on earth. Jesus is the vehicle by which those things come to the destination of God the Father hearing us. And so believers all over the world have the Spirit of God, this power. And I believe many of us don't think of it like that because we don't tap in to the, no, to the knowledge that God lives and dwells inside of us. That is what, what reveals God's word to us and then propels us to go and share. If somebody just cannot stop talking about Jesus, that's the spirit of God, understanding that they are spiritual, spiritual people. And it's important for us to know this. You might be like, what does this like have to do with anything? It has everything to do with everything. It's important for us to know the work because it is the Spirit who opens up the eyes of the blind. It is the Spirit who awakens. It's the Holy Spirit that changes your heart. 
When we talk about hard-heartedness and maybe you sit and you're stagnant in your faith, it's the Holy Spirit and God's Word that is going to change and transform your heart. You see, Paul starts this introduction about Christ crucified and then he jumps into this, uh, this, this desire to impart wisdom. Picking up in verse 7, he says, We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. He said, none of the rulers of this age understood this. They weren't spiritual. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of a man imagined, what God had prepared for those who love him. These things, in verse 10, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Paul is setting the stage of how wisdom is imparted to the natural man. It's not like we have in our culture where many believe, well, you're just born good. You're born with the knowledge of God. You, some of us grow up in churches where, where we hear the gospel over and over, and, and we're just reaffirming what God has born in our spirit. Paul is saying, no, no, no. The natural man is the one who is born sinful. Paul writes about this in Romans 3.23, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. No one is without sin. And he says, that's the natural man. That's who the rulers were. And he's imparting this wisdom God is to the natural man that is secret and hidden. Says not even the elite understood unless God first revealed it personally to them. He then quotes that section you see in verse 9. He quotes Isaiah 64.4, which will be on the screen. It's much like we read. Paul is going back to Isaiah 64, as we see in verse 9, and his point is that natural eyes to that scripture, his point is this, that natural eyes and natural ears and natural hearts of men cannot know or comprehend God's wisdom. It is prepared only for those who love him. And you can't love him with your heart until he takes the dead one out and replaces it with a new and alive one. That's what God does by the power of the gospel, by the power of his spirit. You cannot know God until God first reaches down and takes your dead spiritual heart out of your being and replaces it with a new one. That heart of stone, as Ezekiel would write, to the heart of flesh. That's what Paul is driving here. He's saying when you you have that experience, when God reaches down to you, not you to him, but him to you, and replaces that, that's what awakens you. That's what deposits the Spirit. And you must know that this can only happen, this transformation, by the power of it. As I said before, only those who have been given and received the Holy Spirit are spiritual. And and only the spiritual person can know and understand God. In fact, the Spirit does, and this is what I want to do with the rest of the text, break up into three things that are shown, Paul's writing here, that the Spirit operates by these three things. Revelation, inspiration, and illumination. As Paul writes the rest of this passage here, he's saying this is what the Spirit does. It reveals, it's inspired, and then it will illuminate, bring light to our lives. Note, this is the Spirit's word work as it is linked to the Word of God, what we read at the beginning, right? Why we say we, what we do before we preach, the Spirit and the ministry of the Word has to go out or it's not going to change hearts. Those are the two things. So first, Revelation, see in verses 10 and 11. I read 10. I'll read 11. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts 
except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the Trinity's agent of transmission and communication. These things revealed to us through the Spirit. So the Spirit searches and knows everything, including the depths and the infinite God that we serve and worship. The Spirit says God and His wisdom so far about the Spirit even knows the depths. None of us could even plumb that. And the Spirit Himself knows that. Now I want you to think about your own thoughts, right? Does that make a lot of sense? Think about your own thoughts. Think about them, though. This is what I mean. Only, only you know them. What you're thinking of me right now as I say, he's like, preacher, man, like, think about my own thoughts. Who says that? that was, that's what, think about those thoughts that I'm talking about right now. Think about those. You know the ones when you're alone and the radio's off in the car and you're driving down the road and your mind, all of us have done this, and then you get to your destination, you're like, whoa, I don't even know how I got here. You know what I'm talking about. Because your mind is just thinking, thinking about those thoughts that only you know. Think about those ways that you talk to people even this morning and you interact with them and you're thinking a bunch of things about them that you're not saying because you have a filter, right? Who knows those thoughts? You know those thoughts, only you. And the Spirit of God knows your thoughts. Think about that. We think of it as so private like we do, but God himself knows all of our thoughts. That should kind of terrify some of us, I would think. You know, the Spirit knows. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also knows the mind of God perfectly like that. Most of us would say, man, I would love to know what that person is thinking right now. You sit in rooms, you sit, or even, I would love to know what that... That's the Spirit of God knowing God's thoughts. We don't have that capacity. We're finite creatures with small minds, really. We've done remarkable things in terms of human wisdom, but we're really, we would never have the ability to know God's thoughts. And it says the Spirit knows even the depths of God in that way. It knows what God has chosen to reveal to us through his word. So the spirit operates by revelation, revealing the thoughts of God. That's what the Bible is. Reveal, it's revelation, right? Revealing the thoughts of who God is and how he loves and how he judges sin. So that's the first thing, revelation. The second thing is inspiration. And find that in verses 12 and 13. It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of him who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Revelation, right? And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, inspired by the Spirit. My, my insert there, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You see, the process of the Spirit's transmission is called inspiration. We say that the Bible is inspired. It is written by men, but authored truly by the Spirit. And its truth can only be discovered by man, if it is first received, God's truth can only be received because he freely gives it. You see that? God is giving, revealing himself. He's offering something, and only then by the Spirit can we actually receive it. That's what it says there in verse 12. We've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand. So for us to understand scriptural truths, we need the Spirit. 
This is why Nicodemus comes to Jesus in John chapter 3 in the Gospels. He says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, you have to be born of the Spirit. You have to be born again. You're never going to understand who God is and what he's done until you are born of the Spirit. And only those with the Spirit can be taught things and be able to interpret scriptural truth to those who are spiritual, as it says in verse 13. Those who are mature, right? And so God reveals... Then he inspires by the Spirit ultimately to illuminate, right? To illuminate, to bring light and brightness. That's the understanding Paul is talking about in verses 14 through 16. He says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. That's kind of darkness, right? Lights out. But they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood stood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Here's what I want to do. I just want to unpack verses 14 through 16 through this visual. Everything that's in these verses are unpacked here so we can understand what Paul is saying. He's saying to the natural person, this is the spirit inside you, the spirit of the world. He says, that's what belongs to you. He says, you are going to operate if you are a natural man out of human wisdom. God to the person who is natural without the spirit is foolishness. So when you talk to people who do not have the spirit, that's what they understand. It's just fooly, foolishness. It's folly. They look at you and they think you're crazy because God is crazy. Why would I believe in a God who, that's what people without the spirit think. They are not able to understand scripture. So when you center your life around scripture and all of the application of it, when you set your finances in order because this is what scripture says, when you set your family in order because this is what scripture says, when you set your marriage in order because this is what scripture says, when you set your witness in the world because this is what scripture says, people will say, I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense to me because it's hidden from them. It's wisdom hidden. And they operate only out of the mind of their self. And so it's kind of like this. When you impart spiritual truths or scriptures and you share what Jesus has done in your life and this is what I've been praying about or been asking God about, they kind of like, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's what they say. That doesn't make any sense to me because they have the mind of self. But the spiritual person, the spiritual person has the spirit of God, the power that raised Christ from the dead inside of them. They know and understand spiritual truths. When they think of God, they think of all wisdom. When we bow on our knees with the spirit and we say, God, what do you want me to do? Why would we ever do that unless we thought God had a better answer, right? Say, God, you are wise. You know what you are to be doing or that I'm to be doing through this situation. We get discernment, spiritual discernment, we look at truth and life and all these matters of faith and we say, ah, that doesn't seem like something I should go to. That, that seems off. That's not the real gospel. I don't know if scripture really teaches that. The spirit is working discernment in us, revealing wisdom. And in verse 16, Paul says, because you have the mind of Christ. I don't want to say like this way, we're all little mini Jesuses. We're not that good. But when Christ died and left the Spirit, he says, this is, a, this is what Jesus was in, on this earth. The Son of God revealed as man to know us and know us in weakness. But he says, this is what I'm going to do supernaturally, amazingly. I'm going to impart my mind to believers because the Spirit is in you. You're going to think about the things like I thought about in pleasing the Father in his will. 
You see, a couple notes on verse 16, Paul asks, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct us? Maybe you read that, and that's a little confusing. Let me ask it this way. What natural man thinks God's thoughts? Paul says, no one. No natural man would think that. And and more than this, application-wise, he would say, unbelievers frequently, and we know this, what? Want to correct believers and argue about the truths we believe. Why would you give your life to that God, that Jesus? That's crazy. But here's what Paul is writing. When they contradict God's word, they argue not with us, but God himself. They are trying to instruct him. Who does that? That should all just shrink us down in our in the most humble, like, why would anyone want to instruct the God of the universe as if they know better? That's what Paul's saying. That's complete ridiculousness. That's foolish. As believers, then, it is God who instructs us, and we understand because we have the mind of Christ. And the best way we can understand the mind of Christ is that when, when he was on the road to Emmaus with the, uh, the two disciples, on Emmaus, when, when he opened them their minds to understand the scripture, that's what he imparts to us. He says, I'm going to give you this mind to understand what is revealed about God. This doctrine of illumination or getting light does not mean that we know and understand everything. We're still finite. Write down Deuteronomy 29, 29. I say it to people all the time. The revealed things are God's, the, or the hidden things are God's, revealed things are ours. We don't know all the answers nor does it mean that we don't need human teachers anymore. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 will say that there are pastors, teachers, those that we need. Nor would it mean that we shouldn't study the scriptures with diligence. 2 Timothy 2.15 is going to tell us you need to study and be diligent in learning and imparting that to others. What it does mean, though, is every born-again believer who has the Spirit can know and understand and obey what God has written. So, There is a stark difference between one who has the Spirit inside them and one who does not. Namely, it's this, a love and hunger to learn the word and do it. And if you don't have that, you ought to be concerned. A love and hunger for the word to learn it and then to do it. Only those who have been given and received this Holy Spirit are spiritual and only the spiritual can know and understand God. So why is this important? How should we respond For believers, I think it helps us know we can be confident in our relationship with the Lord. It also helps us know that some cannot understand the things of the Spirit. And I'll do this briefly. We have discipleship huddles in our group or in our church, discipleship groups, people that study the Bible together and pray. And sometimes people don't, they look out and other people in their group, and this is not to form judgment, but you wonder, and I wonder this sometimes when scriptural truths are imparted and people just don't understand them and don't do them. It helps us to know that you need the Spirit to discern spiritual things. So if you ever had somebody in your life who was a Christian, a Christ follower, and you just look at their life and they never do what God wants them to do, that's a head-scratcher, right? It's because you need the Spirit to discern the things spiritually. And it helps us understand that only people with the Spirit are actually going to be able to live this out. You can do moralism, like you could be a good person out of your own flesh, but you can't do life with God. You can't do discipleship as Jesus. Only the spiritual person is going to do that, to live the word. So it helps us, that's a part of illumination, helping us see, I don't know if that person is truly a converted believer, because I don't know if they have the capacity to know, do, and follow the way of Jesus with the spirit. Let me just close with this. 
If you are Christ, and here in the word of the cross, Christ crucified, the beauty and wisdom and power of God, and cast yourself on it, if that's where you cast your whole life for hope and life and joy, then the point of this text for you is that you just continue to increase that reliance on him. To remind you that your willingness to receive the things of the Spirit is a gift of God. It was He that overcame your sinful rebellion. He that subdued your pride and freed you to see the glory of the cross. That's for you, the spiritual. But if you are still among those, the natural man, I would say, as Paul writes, who do not embrace the cross as the very wisdom of God, and you do not welcome the things of the Spirit into your life, then the point of the text for you is these urgent warnings and invitation to consider this morning what a hopeless condition you are in without Christ, to consider how perfectly suited the gospel is for your need, the Lord of glory dying in the place of sinners, to consider how dangerous it is to be held back by your pride, to consider the unimaginable glorious future that God has for those who love him, and then to forsake your pride, to drop the prop of self-reliance and exaltation, look to Christ, and believe and be saved. That is what is called for for the natural man. The spiritual man has the Spirit of God and knows that he has hope in heaven. If this natural man is you, one who has not looked, then you need to respond in faith. Let's pray. And I want to leave you with this from Romans 15, 13. It's an important verse to our family, but pray this for all of you as we leave this place. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Have a blessed day. Go in peace. You are sent.